Hey guys, this is just the first bit of the Don't Panic Radio Show's latest episode, which just has the conversation I had with the guys about Act 1 of The New Aleph. But if you want to check out the whole episode, make sure to go check it out over at don'tpanicradioshow.com. Welcome to the Don't Panic Radio Show. My name is Steve Benson, that's Paul Schultz, and nothing you're about to hear is true. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm listening to the music. Oh, okay, I have a little flavor for you. Oh, okay. Good, good choice this week, man. We got a great one today, folks. We're going to talk to Andy Wright, A. William Wright on Twitter, in the Twitterverse, in the Instagramverse, and Facebook and everywhere. He's going to talk to us. He's, he's uh, finished Act 1 of the audiobook podcast, The New Aleph on the Worlds of Maybar. And uh, he's going to give us kind of a recap. Um, going to ask him a few questions. We'll kind of get a little bit into what we can expect from Act 2. Um, and just, you know, all sorts of conversing with a friend of the show. Uh, and then uh, Paul and I are going to talk about uh, Stranger Things. And then if we have time, we may or may not have time. If we do have time, because, uh, you know, we can ramble with the best of them. <laughs> Lord knows I'm a rambling man. That's right. You were born a rambling man. <laughs> I was born a rambling man. You can't, I can't be tied down to one place for very long. I'm just drifting through town, you know. That's right. uh, if we do have time, we'll do a little T&D uh, toward the end. If we don't have time, we promise we'll get back to it next week. Yeah. Uh, without <clears throat> further ado, I don't even know that there's been mm. any ado, but <laughs> if there has been ado, there's not going to be any more because welcome no more. to the show, Andy Wright. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, we're so pleased to have you with us. We enjoy your audiobook. We enjoy you. I enjoy your Facebook posts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, thanks. Now I know how to write a TV pilot because of his posts. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, for those of you that aren't Facebook <laughs> friends with Andy, he he uh he said that he it is funny because I've done that too where I'm like, "Ooh, I have this great idea, but nowhere near enough time to do anything with it." <laughs> Well, Andy came up with a solution. <laughs> well, solution. <laughs> Quotation marks. Just write a treatment for a TV pilot. I'm, that's Dude, that's what I want to do with yeah. the Valiant 4 because I can never finish that <laughs> goddamn book. So <laughs> that's <laughs> a TV pilot. <laughs> See, those ideas come to Andy because he lives in L.A. He lives oh. out there in, with the Hollywood elite. That's right. The ho- <laughs> <clears throat> All the crazies. All right, Andy. So, Worlds of Maybar. Why don't you? Why don't we start out? How about you explain the difference or the relationship between what you call what you call the Worlds of Maybar and the New Aleph? Well, the the Worlds of Maybar is the overall story. the The New Aleph is book one, uh, which is done and written. I'm just recording and then releasing the chapters each every other week, um, and I am working on writing. The second book as well, which I'm about 
a third of the way through ish uh which is hard because I'm spending so much time recording and editing the <laughs> podcast. But I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So theoretically, so theoretically, you know, fast forward five, ten years, there there's a whole series of mm -hmm. books called the new uh, the worlds of Maybar, and there's the new Aleph yeah. is the one that started it all, and then there's like seventeen more within the <laughs> worlds of Maybar, right? Or however yeah, many. Hopefully more. not that many. That'd be crazy. So so uh, it's like Star Wars. The worlds of Maybar is like Star Wars and, and the new Aleph is like a new hope. Right? Yeah. So at some point in the future you're gonna do three prequels that really suck. <laughs> and then <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll hire JJ Abrams to do is it JJ Abrams or that other guy? I forget. Yeah, it was who's doing it the, was Abrams. Abrams. Is he yeah. doing the other ones? Yeah, there? Abrams. The new Abrams, he's doing he did, new ones. He did save him. He did seven. Yeah, yeah. He he might do nine. So you'll at some point have J.J. Abrams come back and try to save the franchise, <laughs> or introduce the franchise to a new generation. Um, you yeah, you, know. you mentioned something interesting about um, your process. So the book's written, um, mm -hmm. and and you're you're going back and you're reading it. Have you? Do you have any examples of things you've changed, like from when you wrote the novel to now you're, that you're reading it as an audiobook? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of little changes that happen where I'm reading it and I'm like, there's some chapters where I'm like, did I revise this? What happened? And because like most <laughs> of the way it's kind of smooth, I spent you know I spent like a year revising it almost, or like six months ish. I don't know, but. Then I get to these chapters where it's just a mess. And I'm like, oh, and I have to go back and clean it up. But other times, there was one time I had to completely dump a scene and rewrite this whole scene because I didn't like what I didn't. It just didn't feel right. And but the biggest changes that have happened multiple times is changing the order of scenes. Mm. And that was to fit the, the format of the of the podcast, because it's like, I want to end each podcast on a good, like a good punchy cliffhanger and, mm -hmm. or, or just like end with a, on a button. But sometimes the chapters don't end that way. Cause it's kind of just, cause it's the pacing of like, Oh, you could just, you could just turn the page, but people can't just turn the page. <laughs> so I want to have a little bit more satisfying closure at each thing. So I'll sometimes shuffle, shuffle the scenes around. You have an example to, of, of that from the, from act one. Um, I'd have to think there was a time when I think when we have the reveal and oh, for anybody who's listening, this is, this will definitely be loaded with spoilers, <laughs> but, but, uh, when, uh, when, uh, the cat, when Soma finds out about her family, originally that chapter didn't end right after her, the reveal. Mm -hmm. It uh, it ended with something else, like some other scene where somebody's like, "Oh, I'm just going off and going getting groceries." Or something. <laughs> I don't know. And it was like, "Well, I can't end that. I can't like have this dramatic reveal and then like have this other little boring, not so much boring, but like much less dramatic scene after it, and then end with that." So I like had to I shove shove the other scene ahead of it, and had to do some tricks to make it work. But yeah, we talked about this being a. Uh, sort of a recap 
So could mm-hmm. you tell us anything that we're supposed to know or tell us what we're supposed to know already about the nature of the time, like the, where are we in time and space? Um, uh, where are yeah. the characters, I guess, up to this point, what is the reader supposed to think or know or, or feel? Up to this point, we've seen that there's, there's, the, two, there's the two main worlds, Pan and Prometheus, uh, and some, uh, most of the characters right now are on Pan doing stuff. Soma, Aramis, and Paul are there. Nathan is on Prometheus still. And those two worlds are... The reader knows that on each world, uh, they consider the other world to be like the land of the dead because they they figure there's this whole system of and almost of the of the idea of the Pravids that if people have a hard life, they'll get to come back on the other world. But... They don't, you don't see them very much on Prometheus. They're kind of, they're there, but they're like, they stay away from society. Where on Pan, they're, they're very visible and kind of more integrated. And the people on uh, Prometheus know about Pan? They only know of it as kind of like it's the afterlife. In Pan, in, on Pan, because the Pravids are integrated in society more, they know that Prometheus is like a real world where normal people live lives. But um, Prometheus, they don't know that about Pan because okay. the Pravids aren't integrated in the culture. So it's all turned into myth. So is a Pravid like kind of a, a spirit sort of thing or an angel? or They're people that have abilities. They're all kind of... Each, there's They're associated with different elements like water... Uh, wind, fire, earth. And that's all has to do with like what kind of suffering they went through in life. Mm. It's like a, it compensates for whatever they went through kind of. They got mad skills based on, so it's it, it sort of borrows from the, the um, some of the earth mythology, right? I mean, seems like it anyway. Like based on how you you lived your life, this time around, when you're reincarnated, you have a certain other oh. kind of life. Does that make sense? Or what was the inspiration yeah. for for that concept? The inspiration was largely from the idea of uh, kind of like what if what if suddenly people who like like people who are who are driven by uh, compassion or like people who are kind of like have good intentions driven by compassion for people who had hard lives. What if they suddenly had absolute power? What if they had control over reality? What, the, what, what, what might they do? And it was kind of just a, that's kind of part of where the, the idea came from. It's kind of a, it was a little bit, it wasn't quite that linear. It was kind of more of a back and forth about building this idea of these people with powers that were, there wasn't very many of them. And then there's the whole issue of the bond, which will be explained better later on in the story. It's only been like vaguely referenced so far. What bond is that? It's a bond is a, it's, well, I don't want to say too much, <laughs> but it has to do with, uh, it has to do with a special relationship between a Pravid and a, and a normal person or in a, a human. So, so you mentioned uh, special <clears throat> powers, power over reality. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, I did happen to listen, by the way, to the interlude. Uh, ah. And that was um, that was revealing, <laughs> to, to say the least. Um, I hope it was, I hope it, I've had a feeling it might raise more questions than it answered, but I figured that'd be okay. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> that's great. It's, a, it's one of those things that makes you want to hear the next half. Yeah, just remember when you answer all the questions, you end up with the Star Wars prequels. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the so you you said power over reality. What is reality here? Mm-hmm. At least as far as the listener knows, is this are these real worlds? Are we living in the Matrix, virtual worlds? What's going on here? So the reader doesn't know yet okay. the the actual story. Now, um, the thing that I had trouble deciding on was about how Nathan thinks he knows what the world's construction is, what the universe multiverse is, how it's put together. And of course we've kind of been following him in his journey to figure out why things don't seem to be the way that he thought they were before since he helped, you know, build it. Not to interrupt, but Oh yeah, actually to interrupt. (laughs) Um, the so Nathan <laughs> Sanchez is the guy that mm-hmm. the this um like this super power thing named um uh what's her name? The, the, His name? Uh Miniature Golf. She, yeah, Miniature Golf. Brought him back to life or not back to life, oh. but woke him up out of this cryostasis, yeah. right? Yeah, basically. What's that thing's Percy. name? Percy. Percy. That's right. Percy. Mercy, Percy. Um <laughs> Right, so Nathan Sanchez brought back to life by Percy. I'm still not exactly sure what or who Percy is, but Earth, some Earth, kind of magical, Milky. like has a lot of powers yeah. to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Go on. So Nathan isn't quite sure what's going on, <clears throat> even though he was involved with building it, right? Yeah, and so I've kind of felt like I haven't been sure if I've been like playing a fair game with... I haven't let the reader quite know what Nathan thinks, and I've had... I've been careful about having when he has conversations with people about or even when he's thinking about it so that he doesn't quite reveal everything, but it does. It's kind of just, it might be unnecessary, the dodging, even though it's going to come up soon, the answer uh, to what he knows. Um, So it's, it's a, it's a, but it's more complicated than what he thinks, which I mean is obvious since he's been trying to figure out what's going on. But so you've alluded to, like stuff we're going to find out. What can you tell us about act two that without, without spoiling it for people, um, what can we expect from act two? Black two. Um, Soma is so far. Soma, like basically all of the new Aleph is about her, mm-hmm. uh, or about, it's about her journey. It's focus. She has the most agency in it. Um, which I guess has kind of been what's happened so far also uh but it doesn't mean everybody's just going to be on the sidelines doing nothing that's gonna (laughs) that's not going to be the case for the whole rest of the story so story uh you know paul and i have talked a lot about story and i I think we've had some facebook conversations yeah as well like what Mm -hmm. makes for story and you know the classic like storytelling 101 says like a story is, you know, you got a character who wants something and then crap gets in the way of them getting that thing. And the whole story is about them overcoming the obstacles and 
getting that thing they want. Is that what, is that how you see it? Do you, are there other elements? You seem to have a, um, you seem to place a lot of importance on mystery and like keeping things from the reader, assuming, I guess, presumptively because you're hoping they really want to find out those things. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. the dream. And so they keep reading, right? (laughs) Is that, is that accurate or? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of this, it's almost like, I I guess in the back of my head, I think about like, how much ammunition do I have to keep the reader engaged and keep it, it's like you want to like, give a little bit of information. It's almost like leaving breadcrumbs for them or like leaving the Reese's pieces for ET to to trap him, I guess. But so I got to figure out how much, how much ammo do I have? Do I have good mystery? Do I have, are the, are the characters making good decisions that, that readers will relate to and be like, Oh, I would, that's how I would react. Or, Oh, that's not how I would react. (laughs) Or, or like, what's wrong with this person? You know? So it's like, I guess that's kind of part of it. Um, I don't want to rely too much on the mystery of the world, though. I've seen that go bad. Like, I, in my opinion, that's what kind of happened with the Dune series. I read the first Dune book, and it was fantastic. But in the second book, like, we'd already, he'd already revealed the world, and the world was so fascinating and so, so amazing to, like, see the, the rich culture and characters. But in the second book, he just, like, Oh, let's let's deal with these intergalactic politics. And it's like, Ugh. oh yeah, <laughs> uh, you're getting paid. A, you're not, getting paid a nickel a word, so you're gonna stretch that out as much as you can. Yeah. <laughs> so I like I don't want to fall into that trap. For one thing, like oh now I'm I'm gonna try and yeah. So I have to like try to keep a a steady momentum of not relying on mystery too much, but keeping it still fun, the mystery fun, mm-hmm. and uh, the world is pretty deep. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, things to do, so I'm not worried about that, about running out of neat stuff to, to for the characters to do. Well, that sounds pretty awesome. So we're going to find out more about Soma in the in the next, in the act two, and maybe... Well, she'll be, she'll be doing stuff, yeah. Spoiler alert, uh, Nathan will be trying to kick some ass, I imagine. <laughs> maybe he'll get some help from a Prey Beat or something maybe yeah we can always hope so i guess i should i should address a couple some questions yeah i only had a couple i only basically only had you and one of the i shouldn't say that i had so many people <laughs> send in questions guys it was it was just a well, well then why don't you narrow it down to just a few oh man there's it's all <laughs> just, just a couple. the best there's going to be a lot of people out there disappointed that i didn't get to their question <laughs> but you know just try yeah. next time everybody show up to the book uh, signing <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So my friend Megan asked, are there afterlife, are there (laughs) afterlife animals? And on, and now on both worlds, there are the same amount of like wild of these magical beasts. There are, there are magic. They're very rare and they're, they're, body part, just like there's a bunch of, uh, there's this whole art of building things and building, making potions out of this magical items. So there's like, this is a reg- this is a world with everything that's in our world but there's also some there's some magical minerals and plants and animals. And so if you can capture the or you know catch these animals you can use parts of their bodies to in parts of these machines and potions and stuff. And there are 
on both worlds. But in Pan, all that stuff is cultivated. It's part of regular society. Like the the minerals are mined, the plants are cultivated, the animals are domesticated as much as possible. Some are some are not are undomesticatable. So they're too dangerous usually to be raised in captivity. So which like a honey badger. The, which you know, which drives the <laughs> drives the price of their by byproducts up through the roof. So yeah. One other important question was about the issue of of the way, like why is there seem to be like racism towards the Pravids in Pan? Um, like why? Because there's that scene where Aramis gets harassed by some jerk. Um, doesn't treat her very nicely. Um, was he was he deplorable? He was quite deplorable. <laughs> Ever since quite Trump was elected president of Pan, I, you know, everybody's racist now. Uh, you know. <laughs> of course. That's what triggered Pravids. See, the Pravids, they're only sending us the rapist Pravids and the criminal Pravids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you know, for a minute there, I thought we were doing rough draft. <laughs> Sorry, and then, and then Steve comes in with, with this Trump impression, and now that's uh, the show we're doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah. So there, uh, it's a it's a just a complicated cultural situation where a lot of people would argue that would argue whether or not the Pravids do more harm than good. The existence of them. Um, because they're kind of, they're the other, they're like the people, they have, they're stronger, they have powers, they're more beautiful, or whatever, or more attractive, and... Like black people in our world. (laughs) 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 But, so they're just not, they're looked down on as, uh, that they have life easy, that they just take life easy, they have everything handed to them. So there's like a lot of different levels of like society having resentment towards them. Um, and often, and as a case with some stereotypes, there's a lot of people, there are a lot of previews who propagate the stereotypes. And we've also, I also want to make sure to address that we get to see a lot of previed culture and impressions of previed culture through Aramis's eyes. And she has she's very biased and things aren't as black and white as she sees them so that's always good to remember so like she says some stuff about she's very cynical of the pravies themselves and their culture sounds like being a pravy would be pretty awesome though because you got you got white (laughs) privilege combined with looking like the hotness of a black person and the athletic ability <laughs> of a black person. And the but you do have the society resenting them like Jews. So yeah. they don't they don't have very much money though. That's Ooh. they they don't they don't tend to bother with getting high paying jobs or anything. So that's one thing that's I guess uh, well, that's a stereotype anyway. The stereotype of them would be that. Would be that would be that, that they're hard workers, but they don't have a lot of money. Are they very religious? 
No. Okay. They're not. <laughs> I know no, where I'm this not going they're not reli- <laughs> No, they're not religious because they, <laughs> because they work, they, they commute, they often are interacting with proxies for the Alephs. So everything is too normalized for them to be that religious because the Alephs are people that actually, they actually were raised from the dead. So it's like, oh, well. It's all instead of it's it's the spiritualness of the afterlife is complete is kind of been fizzled out, which is kind of what a little bit of the journey that that Paul is going on, hmm. where like his ideas of resurrection and like life after death have all kind of just been shaken by having administrators in some ethereal ethereal office somewhere deciding that he well actually in in case in his case it's a little different but speaking yeah. of Paul. I've been I've been doing all the talking. Paul, do you have any do you yeah. have any questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to make a comment about being raised from the dead first, but raised it has to Okay, we've all had those accidental naps where like we don't realize we fell asleep and then we wake up we're so startled we don't even know how the world works. <laughs> I imagine that's what we like who am I? You you're like Sam Beckett yeah. from Quantum Leap, you're like <laughs> I imagine that's what being raised from the dead feels like. Because, you know, one minute there's like a train coming at you. The next minute you're like laying on a hospital bed, like wide awake. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, I actually I, I had a serious question and then I had a I had a um, like a something else I was going to do. But um, I or I have a um, I have a rough draft ah. question for you. Because um, you were talking about editing your chapters to fit the podcasts mm-hmm. early on. And I was curious if editing for the podcast has affected your writing any. Oh, I'm actually, yeah, it has. I've noticed how many times I have character, I have like, I wrote down so-and-so shrugged. It's like, oh my gosh, I keep, I keep. <laughs> we we shrug uh, a lot. But it's like, I. <laughs> I didn't notice Apparently. it until I started saying it over and over again. It's almost like I should rename this book Aramis Shrugged. <laughs> like that'll be that should be the name of the book. <laughs> because that's that phrase happens way too many times. So I've had to go th- Please, yeah. I'll get a I'll I'll get a picture of my daughter like this and then <laughs> like the Atlas Shrugged and then we'll just <laughs> we'll get you set for the cover. Holding up yeah. she'll be holding up pans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much. So that stuff definitely where like, I'm almost wonder like, am I never going to like, am I going to have to change the way I write from now on to fit, to better fit a radio format? Like, am I going to, I don't know. There's a lot of things where it's like, if I knew I was going to be reading this, I would have written it differently, but I don't, Mm. but it doesn't mean the way it's written is bad. Right. It's just kind of like, it's like logistically it would have been better to do it. And I almost, I almost hope it doesn't like, hurt my style i don't know like it'll probably change my style i don't think it will yeah. it, it'll probably change it and like make you more aware of you know yeah. what you're doing because i mean i like i said before i used to belong to a writer's club and even doing the stuff for the halloween special and and for rough draft you as you're reading it out loud you become and and, mm-hmm. and reading it to an audience whether the audience is there or not, you become keenly aware of like glaring 
repetition and things like that. And I think that can only help you in the long run. Well, the stuff I'm more worried about is like on the page, there's things you can do that will work perfectly where you can have like, you can do tricks to make it so that you don't have a lot of speech tags where you just have like maybe like three or four lines where it's just dialogue, just back and forth. Like you want to pick up the pace of the dialogue. You don't, and it's clear who's talking that. Yes. Yeah. I, I love doing that. Yeah. I hate putting he said, she said when it's just but two like, people talking. But when I'm doing the recording, <laughs> I sometimes get insecure where it's like, ah, are people going to know? Are my voices I'm doing distinct enough that people are going to be able to keep track? Like things like that where I'm not like completely sure. Like that kind of stuff. I, that's the kind of stuff I'm hoping that I don't stop doing just because of the podcast. Like I need to, you know not right. stop doing the good writing things just because they make the podcast harder. Right, right. Well, I think you're, you'll find a happy medium after you've no been doing thing. it long enough, I think. <laughs> have you ever met, no happy yeah, you ever met a happy medium? I'm a happy large. Because I mean. <laughs> they know how it turns out, and it ain't good. Uh, so, <laughs> poor guys. Or do they really? Do they really know how it turns out? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right, so my my follow up is: Have you ever, have you ever, Andy, have you ever watched uh, Inside the Actors Studio uh, with the overly pretentious James Lipton? I no, I've actually only watched the uh, Will Ferrell impression of it. <laughs> the, and S- okay, and SNL. well then you know, then you know about his his like extremely like pretentious loaded. Final ten questions that he asks his hosts, on, <laughs> his guests on the show. I've heard of well, it. Yeah. Normally they're ten. Well, there's there's ten questions. Well, for the sake of succinctness, <laughs> I've narrowed it down to like how George Carlin narrowed the Ten Commandments down to like one. <laughs> I've narrowed the ten questions down to three okay. questions. So so I'll ask you these three questions, and then answer me these questions three, and the other side <laughs> you see. And, and true to James Lipton, I have cards. Ah. <clears throat> All right, question number one. What is your favorite word? Blue. No, yellow. Ah! Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm going to just go with weird. I can't think of anything fancy right now. You, or, you, you use weird a lot. I do. That's fine. I've been, I've been um, picked on for it, but it's weird. It's okay. <laughs> well, not on this show. We'll pick on you for other reasons. <laughs> okay. Question question number two. What is your favorite curse word? Oh. I'm no good at swear words. I don't know. Well, the beauty of it is, is you could say anything and I could just put in a bleep. Say fire truck. Oh. No, I'm just like I just I guess I could just go with damn it. I don't know. It's not very fancy, <laughs> okay. but yeah. But if it it doesn't have to be fancy, but if it works, <laughs> it works. All right, and now for the final one. Okay. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you walk through the pearly gates? Well, there's what I hope He says, and there's what I expect Him to say. I expect Him to say, "I know you have questions, but just <laughs> calm down." That's <laughs> so. <laughs> So I guess that's, I'll just have that be my answer. <laughs> well, that's <nice>. good enough. <laughs> well, um, 
This has been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Looking forward to hearing Act 2. Why don't you uh, tell everybody where to go to find your audiobook podcast? You can either search for Worlds of Maybar, that's M-E-B-A-R, on iTunes, or do worldsofmaybar.com. Um, and the best way to follow me is Instagram. That's where I'm posting the most stuff is there, which is just at the A. William Wright, which will get you almost anywhere will get you to me if you stick with, with that. Right on, man. I do so. recommend <laughs> it. Everybody needs to go out and uh, binge listen so you can be caught up so we can do spoilers mm-hmm. next time we talk. <laughs> it's yeah. it's very bingeable. Very, <laughs> very bingeable. They're not very long episodes. So. Very accessible. And you get to hear Andy's sweet voice. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, thank you. Go sweet, get some rest. Uh, you know, you've been working hard. And... Uh, well, I actually have to start recording episode oh, 10 man. right after this. So I don't get to rest quite yeah. quite yet. <laughs> oh, hey, look at that. We you tie, we accidentally tied it all in. That's great. That's what they used to say about being in prison. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, you can check out the rest of this episode over at don'tpanicradioshow.com. And also remember that Chapter 10 of The New Aleph will be posting next Monday, November 27th. See you next week, and have a great Thanksgiving.